Good morning. Fix this. So this uh, fall, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, maybe some of you are familiar, some are not, but it's a collection of sayings given by Jesus, and there's a collection, uh, two collections of Beatitudes, one in the Gospel of Luke and one in the Gospel of Matthew. And they're called Beatitudes because of the formula in which Jesus uses that each saying opens with a blessing. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now these blessings don't contain all of God's directions, they don't contain all of God's law, but they are a group of sayings that we can remember, that we can hold in our mind, and that they mark a path, they mark a way of being for us. And when Jesus says to you and to me, follow me, listen to me, the Beatitudes are part of this invitation, part of us knowing what he is offering to us and the path that he is setting forth. And eventually we'll work our way this fall through each of the Beatitudes, each of the sayings, Uh, but this morning we're going to look at them as a whole. We're going to read them together and and think about the theme as a whole. But before we do that, I guess I want to mention this this past summer, just a little while ago, my family took a trip, a road trip west, and we saw lots of cool things. But one of the things that was a highlight, at least for some members of the family, was a hotel pool in Fort Stockton, Texas, a hotel pool. And it was an outdoor pool in a beautiful kind of desert surroundings. And it was a zero entry pool. Maybe some of you have seen those, that you can walk kind of into the water and it slowly begins to deepen, but you walk in right at zero entry. And so this pool had that. It was kind of fun to, the, for the kids to explore that and to walk in, but then to make their way into the deeper waters from that point on. And I give that image not, not really anything too meaningful, but that image except for it's a way for us to think about the Beatitudes. If you can picture a pool, imagine a pool that starts off with this zero entry that you wake, wake your way into the, the shallowest of waters, but you can go out and never exhaust its depths. That's like these sayings that Jesus gives us. They're simple language, right? We can understand what he's saying. And he invites all of us to take a step into them, But if we reflect on them, if we consider them, if we examine our lives with them, we'll find a depth there that we cannot exhaust, and a depth that actually leads us into things that we maybe do not know about ourselves or about our God. And so I hope this morning we have a chance to to receive these words from Jesus, to receive them, to step into them, but also to feel the depths that Jesus is inviting us into a life, a way of being that he has set forth. So let's read our passage. This is from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It's in your order of worship, or you can follow along in your Bible, or or just listen as I read. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word given for our good. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you are God that's not silent, but one that has spoken to us. And Lord, we confess that we desperately need your words. We need you to move to us and to speak to us, and so we pray that by your Spirit you'd help us to receive and hear them, that we would know the path of life. Lord, meet us where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at these sayings together as a whole, there's two parts of the sermon this morning. I want us to reflect on two different words. The first word, happiness. Reflect on happiness. And then the second word is emptiness, to reflect on emptiness. So let's start with the first part, the happiness. When I first came to Chicago, I led a campus ministry at DePaul University down in Lincoln Park. And during that time, DePaul was voted the happiest campus in the U.S. I don't think it was because I was there. I don't think there's any correlation. <laughs> uh, but they were the happiest student body. And when I recall the students, when they heard this, they were both glad and surprised. You know, who knew we were so happy? That was the general response. Well, maybe I mentioned that. Maybe you've seen other studies that these have kind of come up every once in a while in the news or even documentaries about happiness. Maybe you've noticed some of them. And often they have kind of a similar theme to them around being surprised. We're surprised about who ends up being happy. And they get, new to, they get news, they get attention, or the documentaries get made because they highlight kind of the contrary assumptions, that we assume certain things that maybe don't work out. And one of those assumptions in particular, a common mistake, is equating the accumulation of wealth with happiness. That's one of the themes that, that runs through many of these studies. And what, for example, one recent article that was in the Tribune had highlighted an experiment with three different groups of people, a group of lottery winners, a group who had experienced significant accidents that led to some form of being paralyzed, and then a random group that just happened to be Illinois residents. Maybe it was you. The study concludes that the lottery winners were no happier than the other groups. Nor were these lottery winners expecting to be happier in the future. Maybe you've seen similar studies. And the report, though, offers this fascinating conclusion. The report says we routinely mispredict not sure if that's a word, but we mispredict how much pleasure or displeasure future events will bring to us. We regularly mispredict happiness. And this is a human characteristic that I have and that you have, that all of us have, that we don't always know what will give us lasting satisfaction. And I mention these things because the word blessing that Jesus uses over and over again here to begin each of his saying, this word blessing is connected to, to this idea of satisfaction, of, of life. In fact, one author writes that Jesus' beatitudes are God's answer, God's response to humanity's greatest questions. What is the good life? What are we here to do and what would make us satisfied? The reality is that we are seeking this all the time in all sorts of ways. Everything we do, whether relationally or work, we're seeking after this blessedness, this happiness, this satisfaction, some kind of good life, a genuine fulfillment. So where do we find it? 
you can picture with me a kind of a whiteboard, you know, maybe in a, a meeting that you've been at or in school, a whiteboard, an expo marker. We're going to make a list of brainstorming what things bring human beings happiness. We can make a list, right, a brainstorming session, and what things would be on the list that we'd put up on the board. Maybe things such as success or not failing, not failing at work or school or whatever pursuits matter to us. It could be being known, being liked, being viewed as competent or being able to handle the things that are going on in our life, gathering money or resources, having a long life or, or health, experiencing comfort and convenience. Maybe it's pleasure having our desires met winning in your pursuits, maybe overcoming or being victorious, whatever it looks like, or power to get your way. Right? We could go on and on. We could think of lists about what would make us happy. But if we can picture that whiteboard, the, the list that's being written out, maybe now we can picture a teacher, a teacher who walks up and who challenges each of those answers on the board who flips each answer, each thought. And that's the case that Jesus is doing. Some of these words might be familiar with us in this passage. Maybe we've heard them many times before, maybe not. But we have to be careful to see that Jesus is flipping the expectations, not just for our culture, but for the day that he was being present as well. In his Beatitudes, he offers a 180-degree reversal of the common expectations around human happiness. To our desire for wealth and sufficiency, Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To our desire for no suffering and no pain, he says, blessed are those who mourn. To our desire for fame, for being victorious in our whatever we face, he says, blessed are the meek. To our desire for contentment with ourselves, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to our desire for justice and power, Blessed are the merciful. To our desire for pleasure, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And to our desire for getting our way, being right, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And to our desire to be accepted, to our desire to being liked, he says, blessed are the persecuted. Each of the Beatitudes is deeply counterintuitive. Jesus challenges our ideas, our predictions about what is a blessing, about what will bring life and satisfaction. He's exploring, I think, and helping us think about this question of happiness and the contrast between appearance and reality. Where do we find the good life? The challenge that Jesus is doing, this kind of flipping of things, it makes me think of Psalm 46, written many years before Jesus' ministry on earth. Psalm 46, the, the psalmist, as part of the prayer, kind of pictures the things in life that seem so certain, so firm, but that those even can go away. The psalmist writes and prays that, imagine that the earth would give way, that the mountains that would surround us, that they would tremble and fall into the sea. That which seems so certain, that which is assumed, the ground and the mountains are no longer there. And maybe we can relate. The psalm is one that most people find deeply meaningful. We can relate that we climb steps, we pursue, we get what we want, arrive even at what we had planned, but find ourselves maybe 
unhappy for the things that we thought we could trust not being there. In contrast, the psalmist offers God as a refuge and a strength in the midst of trouble. You see, Jesus, I think, is trying to help us see, to understand in these words that there are assumptions that you and I hold. There's ways that we evaluate, the ways that we make decisions, that we build our life upon. And Jesus, in his kindness through the Beatitudes, is questioning those assumptions, questioning that evaluation. He's seeking to break down the structures of thinking that, we seem, that seem so sure to us and that can make reality invisible to us. In order to do that, Jesus has to shock us and to challenge the assumptions that we think what would make us happy. Why? And maybe another way to ask is, what, what do we need to see? What is it, if Jesus is trying to open our eyes, what does he want us to see? So as part of this, we have to remember that Jesus isn't just a great teacher. He was that, but he's more than that. If we just try to describe him like that, we misunderstand him. And if we hear the Beatitudes just as a way for us to behave a certain way, we'll misunderstand what's going on there as well. But also, neither is Jesus oblivious to the world in which we live. He was not oblivious to the fallen nature of things. That He welcomes us to recognize and to affirm that mourners in this life often go uncomforted. The meek do not inherit the earth. And those who long for justice frequently take that longing with them to the grave. So what is Jesus doing? He's raising this question of blessing and happiness because he wants us to empty ourselves. That's what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus is actually offering a path not around the idea of happiness but the path of emptying. That's the second word in the second part of our sermon that Jesus invites you and me when we hear these words to come before him as one who is empty. It's hard, if you're like me, that's a hard thing to do and it's a hard thing to think that will make things good. But Jesus is suggesting by these counterintuitive words that we have to let go, we have to move past our resources, our collection of strengths, we have to move past the list of happiness possibilities in order to find true, lasting blessing, to find something that endures, something that continues even in the face of suffering and difficulty in this life. And therefore he says, the blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessed are the more, those who mourn, those who are meek, who hunger and thirst for things to be new and different and right. Blessed are those who have knowledge that holding on to my way or seeking a revenge or pursuing simply what I desire, that blessed are they when they see that won't lead to life. These descriptions that Jesus gives us in the blessings, they can be described as a posture of weakness, an acknowledgement of our need and our limits, that we do not have what we long for, and that we do not know how to make things be the way we want them to be. See, Jesus is offering a path in which he lifts up and blesses empty people. In order to, for us to explore, reflect on this idea of emptiness and how it is a place of blessing, I want us to briefly look at what we could call kind of the book, bookend blessings in this passage. Both of them have the same promise. That's the only time the promise is repeated. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we look at those two things, I think help give some flesh to what Jesus means by emptying ourselves. In fact, what he's helping us see is to let go of self-sufficiency and to let go of approval or acceptance of others. There's a show on Netflix called You Versus Wild. You Versus Wild. Maybe some of you have seen it. We've watched a few episodes in my, my house. Some of my kids like it. It's, it has a person named Bear Grills. Gills? Grills? How do you say that? I don't know. Maybe one you can tell me. But he is a former like, special op for the British military and an adventurer. His technical title, I looked it up, is British Adventurer. That's a pretty good, I mean, wow, if you're an adventurer. Um, so he goes in this interactive series. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember Choose Your Own Adventure books, but it's kind of like that on Netflix where he, he goes on these adventures and all of a sudden it stops and you can actually choose on the screen which, what he should do. And the, each episode is a different mission that you have to fulfill. The missions include things like Operation Jungle Rescue, Lost on Snow Mountain, Venomous Adventure. They all sound very exciting. You have to deliver medicine to people. You have to rescue those who are lost, all sorts of things. And one of the episodes, one of the early ones, he comes to a ravine in the jungle, and he gives you a choice. He can either swing across the ravine on a vine, or he can crawl across on a fallen tree. So, those are two options before you. Let me give you a little hint. The, the vine doesn't work out <laughs> if you get to that part. Apparently, it's not strong enough to, to hold you up. But that's the options before you. Well, if you can picture, you know, that choice or the kind of unfolding of the story, the interaction that's there, I want us to kind of imagine that in our own life. And we know, not on some jungle adventure, but just in daily life, we have all sorts of steps or holds that present themselves to us. And part of what we have to wrestle with is whether that step, whether that hold that will lead us on the the journey is worth holding on to, worth stepping on. Will it hold us? Will it lead us to where we want to go? Not just as part of a show, but actually in our day-to-day life. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to do here is he's saying, look, two common things, two options that are often attractive to us. One of them is self-sufficiency, that I can handle whatever comes my way. That seems like a good step. Another one that seems like a good hold, Jesus is saying, is when you get the approval or the acceptance of other people in your life. He says, look, you know, that, doesn't that seem to make sense that if you hold on to that, things will go well? But in fact, these bookend blessings that both speak of the kingdom of heaven, they tell us that such holds, such steps will not endure and they will not bring lasting and deep satisfaction. To our desire for wealth and sufficiency, Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit here does not mean being depressive, or it's not merely a financial condition, it's not about a bad self-image or being morbid. Rather, it's one who knows his or her need, painfully aware of my selfishness or my ability to do what I believe to be wrong. Broken. There's an awareness of my poverty and my powerlessness, the inability to make things how I want them to be in me or around me. 
Jesus is not saying, I want to be clear about this, Jesus is not saying that poverty or our lacking is a blessing in itself. You, you know this. To feel the pain of life, to feel my sin and its consequences, to despair about not having things how I want them to be. These moments are not blessings, they are painful. But such moments Jesus is inviting us to see can be windows, can be moments of clarity for us to see. See ourselves rightly and to see life and God rightly. Windows are opportunities for clarity in which we see the illusion of our pride, of our power, and of our control. And to this person who sees, who gains clarity, Jesus announces, you are blessed. You are blessed when you see these things. For I am here and I am with you and the kingdom belongs to you. No one can be a follower of Jesus without this spirit, the spirit of poverty. For the kingdom is a gift. It can never be a reward. Therefore, the Beatitudes call us to empty ourselves of self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-importance, but to have a posture of dependence. And we can see a pattern, maybe you notice it through the moving of these blessings, that Jesus picks up those who are down, those who are hungry, those who know their poverty, those who know and feel the brokenness in and around them. Then, after lifting up broken and empty people, then Jesus sends out these people into the world. Those who know their need, who have experienced grace and mercy, are called to go and show mercy and purity and peacemaking to their neighbors. He sends them out into the world to pick up others who have fallen, but he does so knowing that this will lead to the very helpers encountering difficulty and trouble and being thrown down themselves that he may lift them up again. You see, to our desire for acceptance, being liked, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but persecution comes when the dominant narrative is questioned. When the way things are or the way things are understood or assumed are questioned. Jesus was viewed as other. His words did not fit with what was expected. And in this case, Jesus is blessing those who suffer for what is right. Their words or actions are just, but yet they are being mistreated. If you look later in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, you can see some of the ways that Jesus describes righteousness and some of the ways that persecution or difficulty might come. You can picture in seeking reconciliation and forgiveness, we might be called cowards. In making decisions for purity or fidelity, we might be called closed-minded. In responding to difficulty with nonviolence, we may be called weak. In actions of generosity and announcing life is not found in a collection of money, we may be called naive and wasteful. In loving our enemies, we may be called unpatriotic and foolish. Jesus longs for us to see that happiness and blessing does not ultimately rest, does not ultimately rest in the acceptance and approval of others. You see, Jesus is wanting us to hear these Beatitudes, not just hear them, but let them lead us, be led to him. The Beatitudes don't just come from him, but they lead us back to him. 
See, Jesus is not offering us some imperatives, but he's offering us gifts and blessings. And these blessings are a way of him saying, this is where I am. This is where I am. This is good news. When we feel our poverty and our sin and our brokenness, Jesus says, blessed are you, for I am with you. He makes a proclamation of good news. I am with the poor in spirit. I am with those who mourn. I am with the meek. And I am with the hungry and thirsty. I am with the merciful. I am with the pure in heart. I am with the peacemaker. I am with the persecuted. I am with the reviled. And I am with those who are slandered. Jesus is more than a great teacher. He is inviting us to come to him that we may be lifted up. To open our eyes to see past our self-sufficiency, past the approval of others to find blessings in him who comes and is with us in our brokenness. As a way for us to close these blessings, this turning things upside down, this invitation to see as we reflect on happiness and emptiness, the kind of closing question for us to hear is, is who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? You can think about that whiteboard again and all sorts of ideas that come up about what is happiness, what is satisfaction. It's possible for us to hear these beatitudes and dismiss them as foolish, as unrealistic, as Jesus being out of touch with the modern world. The real question, though, is who do we listen to? Where do we seek answers for what will satisfy And if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, if it's true that he entered into death and walked out again as the one raised above all things, then we should listen to him. For he knows what life is and he offers it to us. Where is life found? If you're like me, at the heart of this question, is life found in holding tightly to my life, holding tightly to my reputation and success, holding tightly to what I've accumulated? Or is it found in laying down my life? Is it found in emptiness before God? For Jesus tells us it's possible to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. And those who hold on to life will lose it, but those who let it go will find it. And he invites us to come and find it in him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are and We thank you for your word that at times disrupts us or challenges us. We thank you, though, even in the midst of your word, that you offer the promise of your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who does not abide with the proud and the strong, but draws near to the humble and the broken and the poor in spirit. Lord, lift our heads today by your grace that we may walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.